to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I love the book of Revelation. It is a a book that has brought me uh, into faith in many ways. Now, Revelation, I should have given you a warning that I, I was going to use Revelation so you could have brought your anoraks and bubble hats, because it seems to be a book that uh, attracts all sorts of strange people. Don't comment on the fact that I was brought to faith in Revelation. But we've got that sense of people reading Revelation uh, and finding all sorts of strange meanings within it. So I saw one recently where... uh, Uh, some of the predictions showed that this was the Second World War. I think it was hail was falling and it was like machine gun fire and and, uh, the the sense of uh, the star Wormwood uh, is Chernobyl and you get all sorts of meanings there. Bunkum. Fui. I don't believe it. I don't get it. Because here's the problem, if the book of Revelation is just purely these predictions of this point in history, then what's the point in reading it until you get to the end of the world? Once you get to the end of the world, quickly get it out and have a quick flick through to see what's going to happen. But, you know, it's been around for 2,000 years. Has it not had a message to us for these 2,000 years? The book of Revelation, I think the meaning of it would have been quite obvious to its early readers. It is like, uh, perhaps today, reading science fiction. It's a a genre that that brings in uh, some sort of imagination and describes uh, the indescribable, but also uh, gives us a picture of things that perhaps couldn't be openly spoken of at the time. Back to horror films, the, the 1960s uh, horror film, the, the Night of the Living Dead, I don't recommend it to you, no, it's, it's quite a gruesome sort of thing, but anyway, The Night of the Living Dead, if you watch that film, you will come to the realization that while it's a zombie film, it is actually making a comment on American race relations of the time. Something that couldn't be openly spoken of, but the symbolism is there and it's quite obvious. And I think it is so much so in the book of Revelation. It is telling of the situation then and indeed of situations through the ages Now, John, John's Gospel, which we had a reading from, and the Revelation of John, and that group of books in the Bible which have John in the name, they all have a very distinctive mindset, a very distinctive view of theology and and God. I don't believe they've been written by the same person. I think there's, uh, the scholars tell us that there are quite uh, significant differences in style. 
but they certainly come out of the same grouping of people, uh, if not commissioned by one person with different people writing. I don't know how it was written, but, but you've got that sense there of that, that there's a similarity. So, if you read John's gospel, uh, you will get the same sort of pictures as you get in the Revelation. The very fact that uh, as we had that reading there, uh, we saw the seven, which is so significant in, in both writings, that sense that seven represents a completeness. So, we've got a, a picture here of Revelation. Now, I think too often you're put off Revelation, and the Christian faith is put off Revelation because it's all disasters and, and what have you. And again, I think that is a mistaken view. The Bible has its chapters and verses inserted, but they came later. They weren't there to begin with. And sadly, as we tend to read in chapters and what have you, it can leave us in some awkward places. Let me say, if you read the book of Revelation, you should always end up on a happy place. The sections are divided up to end in happy places. The theme of the book of Revelation is fear and hope. And you should always end on the hope. You see, for instance, the seven seals being opened, and each seal brings some sort of disaster and destruction. And then when the last seal is opened, in actual fact, none of these other seals are going to be opened that's the hope that's always there. This is what could happen, but this is in reality what does happen. God's love comes through. In actual fact, Revelation, like the other Johannine books, is about life and life in Christ. Why would God destroy when the message is of love and life. These are the pictures of a life without God and a life in God. In the passage we had there, we find of the universality of God. The was and is and is to come of that eternity and the alpha and the omega of that fullness of, of His reach in that sense, on that, that completeness that is in God. And He is calling out straight away the early chapters of Revelation tells us of the seven churches which are mentioned there. Again, seven is a, a complete number, so it represents more than just the seven. It is a message to all the churches in that sense. Now, the churches that he writes to all have their particular problems, but we can break them down into uh, three groups. And the churches that they are breaking down 
into have these particular problems which we all have. It used to be that they, they spoke of this about being written in a time of persecution, but it's actually fairly obvious when you look at some of the churches, they haven't experienced persecution, and so there seems to be some sort of localized persecution going on, um, windows getting broken, uh, sort of uh, a bit of friction there, but don't read Revelation as a universal persecution. It's not that at all. The first problem uh, for the churches that he's writing to there within the seven churches is of the churches that go so completely into God that they cut themselves off from the neighbors and cause a, a friction there. Uh, the neighbors are insulted that they are not good enough. Uh, there is a tension there of being so godly that you aren't being neighborly. So, these churches have tensions with their neighborhood. The second problem that gets flagged up with some of the churches is that they want to be godly, but also neighborly. And where's the balance? They have that tension within their community of what takes precedence. And the third problem, which hits churches like the Laodiceans, they have come to faith, but always their worldly needs will be more important than their faith needs. The worldliness will always trump the faith. They're happy to be Christians so long as it doesn't get in the road of their lives. And these are tensions which we live today. How can we be good neighbors in this world as people of faith? The problem is that perhaps we, in that tension, can be very, very religious so religious that anyone who is not within our group then becomes a target to be shunned or, or worse in some cases. Perhaps we start to make God in our own image. God becomes like us. Anyone that's not like us is not of God. Yet we come back round to that sense of the life of Jesus and the command of Jesus that we love our neighbor and love our God. If we immerse ourselves so much in the God side of our faith, 
but forget our neighbor, then, then we don't love our God. And, of course, in loving our neighbor, but without loving our God, then who, in actual fact, do we love there? The life in Jesus is that balance of loving God and loving neighbor. And it's not an easy path to take. We have decisions and and ways of working through, but nobody said faith would be an easy path. At the very center of it is that painful death on the cross that brings the fullness of life. I have a lot of sympathy for Thomas. That sense of wanting the evidence. And so often, we have heard probably as we grew up as children and all the doubting Thomas, and it's almost like Thomas wasn't quite as good as the other disciples. But in truth, the other disciples all had that evidence as well. They were all locked away in that upper room. And Thomas wanted that experience, that sense of evidence And I don't knock him for that. But when he is faced with Jesus and the love of Jesus, he gives himself over completely, perhaps more completely than the rest of the the group. It is a complete surrender into that love of God. And if you read the legends of the life of Thomas, and he goes down into India and Ceylon and and where have you, we get that sense of still the struggle of faith. The people of Sri Lanka, the Christian community there, goes back to that sense of mission supposedly from Thomas. It is not an easy path. It is not an easy way. The book of Revelation will describe the church in an age of the Roman Empire. And the great beasts that we see in the story there represent the political power of Rome, the religious power of Rome these challenges to Christian living. But in the love of God and in our relationship with Jesus, then we can live that life in its fullness and that love in its fullness. Let us be a people of peace and love. Amen.